Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. I'm so glad you're here today. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We're really excited that you would be here. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be here for week three of a series that we're calling Starting Point. We've said everything has a starting point. Families, organizations, individuals, relationships all have a starting point. You had a starting point. Maybe your starting point was on purpose. Maybe your starting point was on accident. But by... By whatever means, you are here and we are glad. Faith has a starting point too. For all of us, there's a time in our life when we became aware in some way that this is not all there is. Maybe it's the religious group you grew up around or your family or somebody just introduced the idea of God to you at some point. But all of us have at least an inner awareness that there is something going on far beyond what we see and uh, we want to investigate what would it look like for you to start over, to have a new starting point, maybe even an adult starting point, because perhaps you got off on the wrong foot. Maybe you began with some false assumptions about God. Maybe your starting point began with something untrue someone told you at one point. That's why in week one, we said that the starting point of Christianity is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of everything. Without that, we have nothing. And so that's really it. Last week, uh, we looked a little bit about uh, into our choices, the choices that we make. In fact, let me just stop and say, if you have missed the first couple of weeks in this series, you can navigate to bridgewater.church. That's our website. And uh, when you're there, just go up to the bar here and type in, uh, bridgewater.church slash messages and uh, in that little there. And then you can listen to or watch the messages from previous weeks or any other campus. You can hear all of our uh, pastors, communicators at our other campuses as well. So if you've not availed yourself to this or our podcast, let me encourage you to do that. Last week, we talked about the fact that we're more than just people who make mistakes. We're more than mistakers. We're something worse. We're something deeper. We're something far worse. We are sinners. And sin is a word that gets used often in church, but not often in life. You don't, you don't show up to work and, and be late and, and go to your boss and say, I'm sorry, I sinned against you this morning by being late. That sounds a little bit awkward. It's just not commonplace for us to use in that way, even if at times it is a little bit, it is valid. And the fact is that some of us make the same mistake over and over and over again. In fact, some of us plan our mistakes. Some of us uh, orchestrate the events of our lives to be able to make our mistakes. And because that's true, this world is such a mess because those mistakes are far more costly. They are sinful. And this is why our world is in the sad shape that it's in. And what we want to do today is look at God's response to that mess. God's response to the mess of the world, God's response to my mess, and God's response to your mess. I'm guessing that this morning there's a couple groups of people. One would say, I think I'm good. I've, I've really towed the line my whole life. I had a pretty good upbringing, and there's, it, my story's kind of vanilla. It's not really um, eventful at all. And I think others of you may have come in this room uh, or, or joined us online and are desperate because you know you're in a mess. And you know that you have contributed to your mess. Today, I hope to just breathe a breath of fresh air into either of those cases and everyone in between. Kristen and I have four children, all teenagers. We've got uh, one has moved out. We've got three left. 
And uh, when, when we set out to have kids, I kind of knew that my role as a dad was going to involve certain things. I was going to teach them how to throw a ball. I was going to teach them, uh, you know, a good work ethic. I was going to help them with their homework, though not math, not my thing. Um, but I knew I was going to do that. I was going to teach them how to, you know, fix stuff and clean their room. What I didn't realize was that so much of parenting would be basically serving on a cleanup crew. Um, and I'm not talking about like toys all over the, the, the house or the room being messy or clothes, you know, flung all over the place. That's, those are not the kind of, those are easy. Those are easy messes. The messes I'm talking about are like the double snotty nose. I'm talking about um, just, you know, bodily functions, you know, like you're changing diapers and then even clothes when the diaper can't contain what actually happened kind of stuff. And um, it was eye-opening for me, for sure. And I remember one night when our kids were all much younger, two of them were in a room in bunk beds. And it was sometime in the middle of the night, and we heard a commotion. And I sleep pretty heavily, at least that's my excuse. And um, Kristen got up to go check it out. So she walked over into the room and looked to see what was going on. And what she saw just kind of took her breath away. The child on the top bunk got sick, threw up all over their bed, um, all over the wall, the window, the baseboard heater. Um, and, and I hear, I don't even know what's going on, uh, but I can kind of tell something's happening at this point. I'm stirring a little bit, and all I hear is this. You made this mess. This is your fault now. You clean it up. No, she didn't say that, did she? <laughs> no, what, what actually happened was she walked back into the room and said, this is a bad one, I'm tapping out, your turn. <laughs> she didn't say that either. She did come get me uh, because this was going to need to be a, a dual effort kind of thing. And so between taking care of the child and the bedding and the pillow and the blankets and the blankies and the wall and the windows and the windowsill and the heater and finding how many square inches of carpet were covered in vomit, we finally took care of it only to realize in all the activity, the child on the bottom bunk was beginning to stir, realizing that they too were covered. It was epic. I don't ever want to relive that again. And for those of you who have young kids, I pray for you. <laughs> now, you, you don't, I don't even think for a second you believed that my wife or I responded that way to our kids. Who does that? Who does that? But the problem I want to address this morning is that I'm in a room or, or with you online with a group of people who actually think that is how God responds to us. That we have made a mess of things. We have made choices. We have, we have violated his commands. We, we have just literally ruined so many things in our lives. And he looks at us and says, now deal with it. You made that bed. Now you can lay in it. Which means that you guys think my wife and I are more compassionate than God. Which means, because you wouldn't do that either, that you think you are more godlike than God is. And I have news for you. We aren't. We aren't. But what if the problem is not with God? 
What if the problem is our perception of him is off? We have have been misinformed somewhere along the line. We've been duped into thinking that we know how he's postured toward us and how he's prone to respond. You know, he's he's the one who says, you've done it, now you take care of it. What if, what if God gave us a different starting point for our relationship with him than that? What if it was different? What if God approached you and me, no matter what we've done, no matter what place we're in, no matter what state he finds us in, what if he approached us differently than that? And what if he gave us an opportunity to have a relationship with him? That's what I want to chase down with you this morning. In fact, there is one story that really demonstrates God's posture toward people who have made a mess of things. It's way back in the beginning. First book in the Bible. It's the book of Genesis. That is the book where we're going to be for most of today. It reveals the starting point of personal faith with God. And this one man's name is Abraham. And Abraham's story shows us that um, God has a plan for us to have a relationship with him. And it doesn't involve self-reformation or cleaning things up before this whole thing begins. In Genesis 12, we read of God's first interactions with Abraham. Now, Abraham was living in a world not unlike the one we're in. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was a mess. It was a dog-eat-dog world. If you wanted something, take it. If you wanted someone, take them. Whatever you wanted to do, you just did it. You made up your own rules. That was the order of the day. Frankly, it was a world that if you and I walked upon and saw it, we probably wouldn't want to participate or be involved in it. But that's not what God did. You see, an important truth for us to realize today, and if you're taking notes, this is an important one for you to put down. Instead of walking away, God waded into our mess. For some of you, your mind is going to the problems in the world today and God wading into that, and that may be very significant for you. But what I really want to impress upon you this morning is that the very mess that is your life, God waded into that. So just let that sink in for a second. Is that the kind of response that you've come to believe that God would have or take toward you? Why or why not? Well, let's talk about the man he approached and spend some time looking at God's interaction with a man named Abraham. All right? Now, Abraham, in the passages we're going to read, is not called by this name yet. He's called by his earlier name, Abram. It's really similar. Kind of a subtle shift, but it's the same guy we're talking about. Let's look at what God did when he waded into Abraham's mess. Genesis 12, 1. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. All right, so God's approaching Abraham. And right here, some of us, especially if you have a a long church background, you're like, yeah, but that's Abraham. It's Abraham. He's a Bible character. He's like different. He's he's better than us. He kind of knew what was going on. Um, I want to tell you that's not true. Abraham was not busy worshiping and serving God at this time. It's recorded for us in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, this. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. Abraham was an idol worshiper. He worshipped multiple other gods, not the one true God. So, you know, he was not telling his kids Sunday school stories at the time God approached him. He, He didn't know God. 
So God said to this man who didn't believe in, worship, or serve him, pack up and go someplace you don't know about, but I'm going to show you. And that's what happens. He said, basically, trust me. So there's a problem between God and man, and God's going to intervene and wade into this mess. And he chooses a man who doesn't really care a thing about him and says, I want you to do something. And Abraham says, okay. And God says, you need to trust me. Then God shared some big news. It wasn't as though he said, hey, just take off. He actually made some promises to Abraham. So God's wading into this mess. And if you're taking notes, here's the second thing. God's solution for our mess started with three promises to Abraham. God approaches this false God-worshiping man, tells him he wants him to go someplace, and then makes him three promises. Let's take a look at them. Promise number one is found in verse uh, 2, Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So promise number one, I will make you into a great nation. Now, fact, that happened. Here's a little graphic that can just show you how this worked. There's Abraham. He had a couple of different sons, and then they had some children. And so here you go. Here is Abraham's family tree. This one came true. The nation of Israel would say, Abraham is our ancestor. So there's a great nation. Every Jewish person on the face of the earth can trace their lineage back to Abraham. But the Arab nations as well came from Ishmael. That's a story for another time. Another son that Abraham had. And they can trace their lineage back to him also. Now think of the blessings in the world through these groups of people. Think of, now I'm serious, I know some of you get a little cynical and skeptical because of all the conflict going on, but all of the work, all of the medical, all of the charities, all of the amazing humanitarian work happening all over the world from these people. But not only was he going to make him into a great nation, but promise number two, he said, I will make you famous. All right? Now, this is also true. How many of you would say, before we started this conversation today, you have heard of Abraham? You ever heard of Abraham? Let me just see it. If you're in, online, just throw your hand up in the chat. Yep, I've heard of Abraham. That's just a ton of hands. Now, nearly all of you have heard of Abraham. So maybe all of us have heard of Abraham 4,000 years after his life. Now, let me ask you another one. How many of you have heard of King Isen? Any hands in the chat? Um, King Isen. King Isen was the crowned ruler of Babylon during the time of Abraham, one of the most powerful rulers in the world at that time. And you've probably never heard that name. But the name of Abraham, you know that one. Interesting, at the time of Abraham, everyone would have known the name King Isen, and nobody would have known the name Abraham. Now, we all know the name Abraham, and who's King Isen? You actually had to do a bit of research to come up with that, one, with that name. <laughs> Promise number three. He said, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. All people groups will be better because of Abraham's descendants. So again, we're looking at all the amazing work all over the world, the orphanages, the blessings brought to people. Even think of the produce. I spent a little bit of time in Israel not too long ago. It is, one of our guides was saying, if you want to grow something, try growing it here. It'll grow. It is unbelievably rich and fertile there. There is so much good that has come from that area, let alone those people. 
And it's into that context, we begin to see God uh, develop a starting point or introduce a starting point for a relationship with him. And here's where the story for us turns a little bit more personal. We spent a little bit of time in a history lesson here with Abraham, but this now is getting very personal for Abraham and consequently very personal for us. It's here where we see the personal starting point for faith. Because you see, Abraham did receive those promises, but a whole bunch of time passed between when those promises were made and when he actually received them. By the time Abraham actually had his child, he had already tried to come up with his own scheme. He and his wife came up with his own scheme for having a descendant because God wasn't providing his wife, Sarah, the ability to get pregnant. But 25 years later, she gives birth when he was well past the years of fathering and she well past her childbearing years. Abraham had to be wondering when or whether this was going to happen. And that's when God came back and talked again to Abraham. Look at Genesis 15, now verse 1. Some time later, just read, very long time. The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. Verse 2. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. You can see Abram, he, he's, trying, he's trying to trust God. God made him promises, and Abram's trying to hang on to those things, but it's very difficult. I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting, God. What is going on? Verse 4, then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Now, just go ahead and do that some clear night. You couldn't have done it last night because the moon was so bright. But we're talking about a time and a place with no light pollution. Just go outside and look at them. It'll blow you away if you've ever been to a part of the world where you can do that. It just takes your breath away. It says, that's what you're going to have. Try to count those things. Similarly, try to count your descendants. And here's where things get crazy because what happens next seems almost way too simple, even impossible, verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteousness, as righteous because of his faith. Abram finally said, okay. And God said, yeah. That's it. Trust me. You want to have a relationship with me? You trust me. Did you catch it? Abraham just said, okay, God, I believe you. And God counted him as righteous. Clean slate. Relationship with him formed. Abram, this guy who worshiped false idols, many other gods in a foreign land. The guy who earlier we could read in chapter 12 lied about Sarah being his wife in order to save his own skin, who wasn't relying on God's promises. This guy who struggled with doubt in the waiting finally said, okay, God, I believe you. And God credited to him, counted him as righteous, all because of belief, all because he trusted God. So pay attention to this one this morning. This is key. 
trusting God resulted in a right relationship with God. God didn't bring up his idol worship. God didn't bring up the mess his life was. God said, here's the truth. Abraham said, I believe you. God said, we're good. That's it. And that's not just a passing statement from a book written 3,000 years ago. That idea stuck. How do you get in good with God? Clean up your act? No. Get around the right people? No. Trust him. Trust him. You want to have a relationship with God? Trust him. Your family heritage doesn't matter. You're born into a family who believed in God. Doesn't matter. Abraham wasn't. It's not your birth. Jewish people would say that. They would claim it's our ancestorship of Abraham. That's what gets us favor with God. It's, no, it's not. The Muslim faith would say it's, it's our ancestorship and it's the good works we do. It's our behavior, really, that gets us in good with God. Not according to these passages. Scripture says Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Is it birth? Is it behavior? It's none of those things. So I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't really matter what you've done. God's got a truth for you to believe here this morning that if you would just trust him, you could have a relationship with him. How do I know that? About 2,000 years after this all happened, a man named Paul wrote to people in Rome about what it meant to have a relationship with God. And this very question came up because these people had some history. These people had some preconceived notions. They, they might have had a different starting point for their faith. And Paul is saying, hey, whoop, erase that. Let me give you the starting point for faith. We're going to shift gears and go to Romans chapter 4. So if you want to navigate on your device or flip over in your Bible, no matter, we've got it here for you. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? Verse 2. If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. It wasn't his behavior. It wasn't his behavior. And the fact that he's the founder of the Jewish faith didn't seem to make a big difference. Look at verse 3. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Do we see what's happening here? In case these people would say, well, that's great for Abraham. God counted Abraham righteous because of his faith. Paul has a response to that too. Look at verse 5. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. This is our great hope this morning. God has made a way for sinners, not mistakers, sinners to be forgiven. And it involves trusting him. And what has he said? What has he said? He said, I've done something about your sin. I provided my own son and his name is Jesus. I sent him to pay the price that you should have paid for your sin. I poured out all my punishment for your sin on him and I've shown you all the favor that he deserves. He took our place. He became our substitute. Jesus had no mess for God to wade into. The perfect son of God. And that's the offer today. 
God saying to you, you got a mess? That's all right. That's my specialty. I've got just the thing. That's the offer. If you're feeling compelled to clean things up, to switch things around, to do something before you would just say, okay, God, just please stop. Let me ask you a final question here. What if the starting point for a relationship with God is trust? What if it was just that? Just trust what God said. See, because just as Kristen and I entered that room and, and took care of that mess and took care of our kids, God has made his way into your life and stands ready and willing to take care of you, to take care of your sin, if you just trust him to do it. Just trust that he sent Jesus to pay the price for your sin. What if right now, right here, God provided forgiveness for your sins. Continuing something that, that we see happening way back here in the life of Abraham. And now, he's entered your mess through the person of Jesus Christ. Could you cross that bridge today and start a relationship with him? I would love for you to consider that as we move into a time of singing and celebrating the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? God, we, man, there's just nothing redeemable about us. Nothing really, nothing we could do to compel you to help us out. But your own love for us and for the glory of your own name compelled you and you entered our mess and we thank you. My prayer today is that those who are here who have not trusted you to deal with their mess, have not received forgiveness for their sins, would do that this morning. In an act of humility and gratitude, just say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that you've paid the price for my sin. I ask you to fill my life. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid the price that I deserve to pay. And I want to give you my whole life. I pray for those of us also who are here today in whatever capacity who are followers of Jesus. I pray that you and I would just be moved to greater humility because we aren't special. We've just been rescued. And I pray that from that place we would do what we need to do in Jesus' name, amen. You can stay seated as we get ready to take communion and feel free to sing along.